Well, please take your Bibles now and turn with me at this time to the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 3 and our verses 14 and 15. Today's the first day in our new message series uh, for Advent. Our message series is called Four Great Prophecies of Christmas. The Four Great Prophecies of Christmas. You know, one of the distinguishing marks of the Old Testament is that it is full of prophecy. Uh, It's full of prophecies that were given centuries ahead of time, and then each of them were fulfilled exactly as the prophets had foretold them. And this is one of the strongest indications we have that the Bible truly is the Word of God, right? Because only God knows what's going to take place in the future. Only God knows the end from the beginning. Only God has the sovereign power to work out all things in conformity with the purpose of his own will. Now, there are actually many prophecies, okay? Many prophecies that were fulfilled by Christ and his coming. Uh, But in this series, we're going to be focusing on four of the big ones. Four great prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus was born into our world that first Christmas morning. And we'll we'll put them right up here for you so you see what we'll be looking at in this series. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking at a great battle uh, from Genesis chapter 3, a great battle. Uh, Next week, we'll look at a great star uh, prophesied in the book of Numbers, chapter 24. Uh, The third week, we'll look at a great sign from Isaiah 7, 14, and then we'll finish it up in week 4 with a great king, uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, So this morning, though, we're going to get started by looking at this very first prophecy, not just the first Christmas prophecy, first prophecy ever given in the Bible, the first prophecy in Scripture, which is this prophecy of a great battle in Genesis chapter 3. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look into your word this morning, as we look at this amazing prophecy, I I pray, Lord, that we would not only have a greater understanding of this prophecy and and how it relates to the rest of the Bible and and indeed to all of history, but Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would also encourage us this morning because this is a word of hope. It's a word of promise. And Lord, we all need hope and encouragement today. So Lord, we open ourselves to you and your word. Come speak to us, minister to us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I want you to imagine for a moment a battle taking place in a country far away. Far away. And you, you, know, you, you read about it in the paper or on the internet. You, you hear about it on the radio. You, you see pictures uh, on your TV screen. You go, wow, yeah, that's terrible. That's horrible. That, you know, those poor people. Now imagine that that battle suddenly comes to your city, to your hometown, 
So now those tanks, they're rumbling down your street. We got tanks on Broward Boulevard. Those bombs are falling on the homes in your neighborhood. That constant staccato of gunfire forms a, a backdrop uh, just outside your window. And what once was far away in distance, this is now a part of your daily world. And people, I want you to know this is not a theoretical situation. This is your actual situation when it comes to the spiritual battle between Satan and God. There is an ongoing battle between the forces of good and evil and you and your family and your friends and your co-workers and your neighbors. You are all caught right in the middle of it. We live in a fallen world that is besieged by powerful enemies of God who want nothing more than just to burn it all down and to take you with it. This is the world we live in. This is the world that Jesus was born into so many years ago in Bethlehem. So I want you to know if you are feeling tired this morning, if you are feeling worn out from life, if you are weary of the struggle and the fight, there's a reason, okay? It's because you and I, we are all part of this great battle that was prophesied way back in the book of Genesis and continues even through today. Now, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus was born into our world to bring an end to this battle. The birth of Christ was a ray of light shining into a dark world. It is like the sun dawning at the break of day. And all of this was told in advance in this first great prophecy of Scripture. Now, we can take this whole great battle, okay, and we can break it down biblically and historically into three main aspects, three main aspects this morning. There's an outline in your worship guide. I would encourage you to take that out at this time. You'll find all three of those points written out for you there, and there's room to jot down some notes. But we can break down this battle this way. For Number one, the battle between Satan and God. That's where it starts, the battle between Satan and God. Number two, the battle between Satan and God's people. And number three, the battle between Satan and Christ. That's how we're going to break that down this morning as we look at this first great prophecy of Christmas together. You know, every battle has a beginning, right? Every battle has a beginning. So how did this battle begin And where did it begin? Well, this battle begins with the battle between Satan and God. And the Bible tells us it all began in heaven. That there was war in heaven. In the book of Revelation, the the 12th chapter, marvelous chapter. uh, Just an amazing vision of this great dragon. And and, uh, as you read through the chapter, just... Uh, It dips in and out of all of world history from the beginning all the way through the end. But we read this in Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. 
It says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, the dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So John has just seen this amazing vision. This is this huge dragon. that We're told here this great dragon is Satan. Notice that he's also called that ancient serpent, identifying him, right, with the tempter in Genesis, the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. I want you to know Satan was originally a, a beautiful being. He was originally, he was created as a beautiful angel. And he had a high place in heaven. The Bible tells us he was a magnificent being, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And you wonder, well, what happened? What happened to Satan? Well, the Bible tells us, sadly, his heart grew proud and he tried to take God's place in heaven. And that's what we just read about in Revelation 12. He leads this rebellion against God, but he and his, and his angels, they were not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. And that's when the battlefield shifted. The battlefield shifted from war in heaven now to war on earth. Satan and his angels were cast down to earth where Satan continued his battle against God by leading the whole world astray. And you know who he started with? Adam and Eve, right? First man and woman. He came in the form of a serpent. He deceived the woman. He got both uh, the man and the woman to eat the fruit that God had forbidden, causing Adam and Eve both uh, to fall into sin, and with them the whole human re race falling into sin. Folks, Satan is a liar and a thief. He could not compete with God in heaven, so what did he do? He took the battle to earth, where he continues even today to lead the world astray. And so this great battle begins where? In heaven. It begins with the battle between Satan and God. But now it continues with the battle between Satan and God's people. And after Satan deceived the woman in the form of a serpent, God cursed him for what he had done. We read this in Genesis 3.14, the verses we looked at just a little bit earlier. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. In this casting down of the serpent to the ground, okay, the casting down of the serpent to the ground, this is symbolic of Satan being cast out of heaven to the ground, to the earth. Now, you've all seen snakes before, right? Yeah, we see a snake, what's it do? It's crawling around on its belly, right? I bet you've never seen a snake running around on, its, on the back of its tail upright, right? It doesn't do that. 
crawls on its belly. Well, every time you see a snake from now on, next time and every time, I want you to look at that and be reminded, Satan, you've been cast down to the earth. You've been cast out of heaven. Satan, you are cursed and cast down as an enemy of God and God's people. And all of this leads us now to our first great prophecy of Christmas. This is the prophecy of the seed of the woman. Look at Genesis 3.15 with me now, where God continues his curse upon the serpent, and he says, And I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He, her offspring, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And here we are introduced to the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman refers to her offspring. The seed of the serpent refers to the offspring of Satan. Now, in one sense, the seed of the woman, uh, in one sense, it can represent the entire human race, right? Because uh, all of us, we are all the offspring of Eve. Satan is against God, and so he is against the entire human race. Why? Because, well, every human being is created in God's image. So in the broadest sense, we could say, oh, well, the seed of the woman, that's, that's all of the offspring of Eve. But in a narrower sense, in a narrower sense, the seed of the woman refers not to all the offspring of Eve, but rather to the godly offspring of Eve. In other words, those who believe and know and follow God. And that makes better sense here because we also have the seed of the serpent, right? Satan does not have any actual offspring, right? The way that Eve does. And so who are the seed of the serpent? They are the ungodly offspring of Eve. Or in other words, those who are against God even as Satan is against God. And then notice how this prophecy speaks of enmity. That means a hatred or hostility between the two. There will be enmity between the serpent and the woman. There will be enmity between his offspring and hers. And this enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, this represents the forces of evil arrayed against the people of God throughout all of human history. Now, I know most of you women here today just love snakes. They're just your favorite animal. You, know, you, see snake, you just want to pick it up and cuddle it and, and just say, nice snake. I see a lot of people just shaking their heads at me. Some of you probably do, right? Most women don't like snakes, right? Well, once again, next time you see a snake and you recoil, that is a reminder. It is a continuing reminder of this enduring hostility that exists between Satan and God's people. Let's take a look at a few examples of this from Scripture. The very first example happens in the very next chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were what? They were the first two offspring born of Eve. And already there was enmity between the two. Cain murdered his brother Abel, showing that he, Cain, belonged to the ungodly seed of the serpent. Why did he murder Abel? Because Abel, yeah, the ungodly seed of Eve, but the ungodly seed of the serpent showed that Abel belonged to the godly seed of the woman. Seed of the serpent, seed of the woman, enmity, hostility. 
Other examples of this enmity where we won't go through all these this morning, but they're in your outline if you want to go home and look them up later. Is, uh, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, you have Ishmael and his brothers. We read about them in Genesis 16, the hostility. You have Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25, the hostility between Jacob and Esau. You have Haman and the Jews in the book of Esther, hostility. And then, of course, we have Satan and believers today. In fact, if you go back to that vision in Romans chapter 12, uh, and we read this in verse 17. It says, then the dragon was enraged at the woman, and he went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And that verse there, Romans 12, 17, that is a direct reference back to Genesis 3, 15. And it applies that prophecy from Genesis 3 specifically to what? To the continuing battle between Satan and believers. Believers who are described here as those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so that brings us now to Jesus, okay? And that brings us to this third and final aspect of this great battle. Now remember, we've said that this seed of the woman, we can, uh, in, in one sense, in the broadest sense, it refers to all the offspring of Eve, right? And then we saw in the narrower sense, it refers to just the godly offspring of Eve. But now we're gonna narrow it down even further because it also refers to one individual offspring of Eve. According to Genesis 3.15, that this enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman would eventually result in one specific individual from the woman's seed who would ultimately defeat Satan and bring this great battle of the ages to a close. So this, then, is the third and final aspect of this great battle, the battle between Satan and Christ. The battle begins where? It began with the battle between Satan and God. It continues with the battle between Satan and God's people, but it culminates in the battle between Satan and Christ. And you know this battle between Satan and Christ? It began a long time before that first Christmas. It began a long time before Jesus was even born uh, into our world because this battle between Satan and Christ begins with an attack on Christ's line, the line of those people leading up to Messiah, the messianic line. Think about it now from Satan's point of view. Strategy. If Satan could destroy the line of Christ before Christ ever came, if he could actually do that, then what would he do? He would actually prevent Christ from coming. And if he could prevent Christ from coming, he would prevent his own prophesied defeat here in Genesis 3.15. And so we see a long line of attacks on the line of Christ throughout the Old Testament. Let me share with you just a few examples. We find one of the first attacks on Christ's line in Genesis 6. And you know, Cain and Abel, that may even be another one. But Genesis 6, we read this. When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Now, this is a very difficult 
passage to interpret. It's probably one of the top ten passages uh, of difficulty to interpret in the Bible. Some people believe, they, they see this as an example of angelic beings taking human form and somehow mating with, with uh, human females and, and uh, bearing this, you know, just this monstrous offspring. And, you know, so they see this very supernatural in that way. Maybe that's what it's talking about. We don't know. Others believe the language is more symbolic uh, of the godly sons of Eve intermarrying with pagan unbelievers. But either way, this is a direct attack on the line of Christ. Satan wasted no time in trying to interrupt the godly line of Eve, that godly line which would eventually result in the birth of Christ. Another fascinating example is the incident with King Abimelech and Abraham's wife Sarah. You find that in Genesis chapter 20. Now, you go back just a couple chapters, Genesis 18. God has just told Abraham and Sarah, He says, Abraham and Sarah, I've promised you that son, Isaac, who's going to be coming. One year, within one year, your promised son is going to be here. Isaac, whose line will lead to the promised Messiah. So what does Satan do? He tempts Abraham to lie about Sarah. Abraham's afraid that, you know, they're going to kill him and take Sarah away from him, even though God's just promised him Isaac's coming within the year. So he lies about her. Tempted to lie. She's just my sister. Well, King Abimelech says, well, if she's just your sister, I'll take her for myself. Takes her into his palace. She's going to become part of his concubine. If King Abimelech sleeps with Sarah and she becomes pregnant, that means Isaac will never be born, which means that Jesus will never be born. It's an attack on the line of Christ. Now, of course, in any battle, you have attacks, counterattacks. God counterattacks. Comes to Abimelech in a dream and warns him. He says, Abimelech, you are as good as dead because of this woman you've taken. She is a married woman. And so Abimelech backs off. He says, why did you lie to me? Abimelech does not sleep with Sarah. Abraham and Sarah give birth to Isaac. The line of Christ goes on. Satan keeps going. He doesn't stop. Another example of Satan attacking Christ's line is Joseph and the famine where Satan tried to wipe out the entire Jewish line through a worldwide famine. But God sent Joseph ahead into Egypt. Why? In order to preserve a remnant. In order to preserve the line of Christ. Then fast forward to the book of Exodus. Chapter 1. Pharaoh in Egypt. Who does what? He gives the order to throw every Hebrew boy into the Nile River. Once again, Satan trying to destroy the line of Christ. Fast forward to the book of Daniel. The nation of Babylon comes and exiles the Israelites. And we're told specifically that they captured all the royal sons of Judah. Remember, Judah is the line that Christ is going to be born from. They captured specifically the royal sons of Judah, and they tried to turn them. They tried to indoctrinate them in Babylonian culture, in beliefs, and attack on the line of Christ so that there'd be no godly line for Christ to be born into. Now, of course, Satan failed in all of these attacks on Christ's line, right? Because Jesus was born, just as God said, just as God promised, Just as God prophesied, born in Bethlehem. 
And so as soon as Jesus is born, Satan immediately switches tactics. He could no longer attack Christ's line. So now he begins his attack on Christ's life instead. And you know what? He doesn't waste any time this either. Because soon after Christ's birth, King Herod does what? He tries to take Christ's life by killing all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. You might wonder, well, why did Satan wait two years? Why did he do it as soon as Jesus was born? Remember the shepherds out in the field? Remember the hosts of heaven appearing with the angel that appeared to them? They were not just the choir folks. That is the hosts, the armies of heaven. As Christ is born, the entire armies of heaven show up to protect this child. Imagine our choir dressed in suits and armor or full combat gear. That's what the hosts of heaven were. This satanic origin of Herod's plot, the desire of the dragon immediately to take Christ's life, is revealed to us where? Revelation 12. Back to Revelation 12 again, the vision of the great dragon. Verse 4 says, the dragon stood in front of the woman. John's seeing this in a vision. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour the child the moment it was born. God's angel armies say, nope, that's not going to happen. Herod makes the attempt within a couple years, but God protects Christ from this satanically inspired attack by pre-warning Joseph in a dream so that they escape to Egypt of all places. And the child is kept safe from Herod and his attack. We don't have time to go through uh, the others, but some of the other attacks in Christ's life in Scripture, we see the temptation in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, Judas's betrayal of Jesus, John 13, 27, where we're told specifically that Satan entered into Judas to betray Christ. Jesus' anguish in the garden of Gethsemane, and all of that leads us to the final fulfillment of this first great prophecy of Christmas which is the prophecy of the crushed head and the bruised heel. Remember what God told the serpent? He said, he will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. And where was this fulfilled? This took place at the cross, where Satan bruised Christ's heel as Christ suffered, suffered terribly. Jesus suffered on the cross. Satan struck his heel. But Jesus crushed his head. Jesus defeated Satan once and for all when he died on the cross for our sins, when he rose from the dead on the third day. And so Satan is a defeated foe. Now he continues to fight and to lash out because he knows his time is short, but his doom is certain. And when Christ returns... Revelation 20 tells us the devil and his angels will be thrown into the lake of fire. And this long battle, which stretches from before the beginning of human history till after the end of human history, this great battle will finally be over. So, folks, this is the first great prophecy of Christmas. 
And God gave us this prophecy right after Adam and Eve fell into sin. God immediately gave this prophecy of the seed of the woman, which was fulfilled when Christ came into the world at Christmas and later defeated Satan at the cross. When Satan bruised Jesus' heel, but Jesus crushed Satan's head. He gave it right away. Adam and Eve had just sinned. They must have felt terrible. And God gives them this word of hope, this word of promise, this word of encouragement. So yes, Satan is a powerful enemy, but he is a defeated enemy. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. When Christ returns, the devil and his angels, their time will be over, right? They will never engage in battle against God and his people ever again. Just as the people of the Old Testament waited patiently for Christ to come the first time, so we wait for Christ's return. Once again, it's never easy waiting, is it? We grow weary from the struggle. We get tired of the fight. But you see, in the midst of the struggle, we have this prophecy as a sure and certain word of hope. Christmas is an annual reminder that Christ has come, that Christ is coming again, that one day the battle will be over and there will indeed be peace on earth and goodwill towards men without interruption or end, forever and ever, throughout all of eternity. This is what Christ has done for us. This is the first great prophecy of Christmas. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this amazing prophecy. It must have been so encouraging to Adam and Eve as they were just devastated by their sin, Lord, even as we, as we fall into temptation again and again and we, we're just hurting so badly when we do that, Lord, because we know we've grieved you. But Lord, we come to you and, and you give us hope because this, this is a word of promise and hope that Jesus has come, that he has defeated Satan and that the battle will be over and it's all because of Christ. So we worship you this morning, we thank you. And we praise you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.